0: Hey kids, you're listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast, and my guest today is R. John Robbins, the founder and owner of How to Manage a Small Law Firm a consulting company that teaches lawyers how to build and grow their law firms into businesses that are profitable, efficient, and get you out of a job and into a business. If you've ever met Arjun, you know that he has a very colorful personality. He does not mince words. He's very direct, and he has a lot of extremely creative and what some people might call eclectic business ideas. But in my opinion, he's nothing short of brilliance. I interviewed him for Wake Up Call Live, there are a few sections in this interview that would be more beneficial if you were watching rather than listening. If you'd like to watch this interview, you can find it on my Facebook page. Go to facebook.com backslash podcast. You can also find this interview on my YouTube channel and watch it there. The links are in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation with John. He talks a lot about personal things, including how he personally crashed and burned, but also how he recovered and how you can too. Enjoy. Hey guys, you're watching Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. And my guest today is John Robbins, the founder of How to Manage a Small Law Firm. Thanks for joining us, John.
1: Hi, Christina. Thank you for having me. And I think what you're doing here is, is really cool. People, people need things like this especially in these days uh, with these challenging times we're all having. And I don't just mean the medical challenges, but the economic challenges I think are something that people are not really fully appreciating yet. And so this is really important for that.
0: I agree with you hundred percent. People are, losing their minds mostly, and you've talked about that, and I'm going to ask you to talk about that today. But I want to give people a little bit of background on who you are, how to manage a small law firm. You kind of figure out what it is from the name. It's a coaching or consulting group that teaches lawyers how to run their businesses effectively because in a case you don't know, if you're a lawyer and you have a law firm, you're not just a lawyer. You're a business owner. That might be rule number one that you have a business and you got to run it like a business. But I want to hear about your personal background. Cause I know there was a time when you were flat broke. I love rags to riches stories, but I want to back up even a little bit behind that is you were a lawyer. You had your own law firm. And what was that experience?
1: So I still am a lawyer. Yes. I still, I still do maintain my bar license. Although I have not practiced law in many, many, many years. So where do you want me to begin in the story? You've heard my story before and I don't want to.
0: Yeah, I like your story, but for the people that haven't heard your story, I mean, the part I really like is, and we can kind of glaze through this one, but you had your law firm. I assume that wasn't really your passion and you, you somehow got into teaching other lawyers how to market, if I'm remembering correctly. No. Okay. So then I'm wrong. I don't even remember
1: the flap broke part. Okay. Let me start off before the flap broke part. The part that happened before the flap broke part makes the flap broke part even worse. Okay. Right? You know, I think there's a lot of people out there who like to tell stories about, you know, you should take my consulting advice. You should take my legal advice. You should take my mentoring advice. You should take my leadership advice, whatever it is because look at me, look how great I am. And I've got this track record of success. I, I'm always skeptical of those kinds of people. You know, I, I, I like to work with people who have graduated from the school of hard knocks because I think that we have a much deeper appreciation for where people are coming from and where they're starting off from. And and my story uh, from the school of hard knocks, I, uh, well, I'll just tell you the story and I'll let you judge it yourself. Yeah. All right. so. I went to law school and learned all the same things that you and probably any other lawyer listening to this or watching this learned in law school about the business of running a law firm, which is I learned nothing. In fact, if I just learned nothing in law school about the business of running a law firm, that would have actually been better because at least my head wouldn't have been all screwed up with this idea that law school teaches us that if you're just, just, be, just be a good lawyer – and the magic law firm management elves will somehow come and yes. take care of all the business management aspects of this for you. I've and heard that. You mentioned this, Christina, because I know you have an audience, a diverse audience, and I don't, I don't want anyone to think this is a lawyer story or mm-hmm. this is relevant just for lawyers. This is, this is the same with doctors. This is the same with, with chiropractor. Any professional, we're taught that if you just focus on being the best doctor, lawyer, architect, engineer, accountant that you can be, the magic law firm, accounting firm, architecture firm, management elves will just show up and just take care of the business of it for you. And so I graduated from law school. My first semester of law school, I actually was ended up on academic probation. I don't talk about this very often. Did no, you know
0: I've heard that.
1: Yeah, my, my first semester, I actually ended up on academic probation. And it wasn't because I didn't know the answers, it was because I didn't understand how the system worked. I didn't understand that what you do in class doesn't matter. I didn't understand that how smart you are doesn't matter. I didn't understand that how much you know about the law doesn't matter. I didn't understand that the way the game was played in law school is it's all about what goes into the blue book, all what goes into the final exam in the essay. And so I was on academic probation and I realized, okay, I I can't study any harder. I can't work any harder. I'm not going to get like magically much smarter. So I had to figure out the system. And once I figured out the system for how law school grading works, my grades went from academic probation with me killing myself every week to all of a sudden I was getting like A's and A minuses and the occasional B plus. But I was working like a fraction of how much everyone else was working all because I learned how the system works. And so I became very interested in understanding how the systems work that make things work. I graduated from law school. I opened my own law firm. I clerked for a federal bankruptcy judge. Then I opened my own law firm. And I fell on my face. My law firm was a disaster. It was not what I would call a successful law firm, right? Nowadays, I define a successful law firm as a business that serves the financial needs of the owner, and serves the personal needs of the owner and serves the professional needs of the owner because if it's just making a lot of money but it's ruining your life, I don't consider that to be a successful business.
0: No, neither do I.
1: And if it's making a lot of money and it's giving you a great life but it's not giving you the ability to really make a positive impact on the world, I I don't consider that to be a successful business, at least not for me and not for the 400 law firms that we manage around the country. Um, Yeah, so my law firm was not a successful law firm. It was, it was an unsuccessful law firm. It did, not serve me, it did not serve me financially. I did not earn enough net income to live the way I wanted to live. I had to live with a lot of compromises and excuses, and I had to settle for a bunch of bullshit in my life because my law firm wasn't generating enough profit for me. It was not personally successful. Uh, it was ruining my life because I was working my ass off and not getting anywhere. I was very frustrated, and it was not professionally successful on account of the fact that since it was so small- I couldn't really have a big impact on the world, and that was very discouraging for me. And so uh, to make a very long story short, I ended up discovering that the Florida Bar had a department called the Law Office Management Assistance Service. And the Florida Bar's Law Office Management Assistance Service was created in 1980, when the president of the Florida Bar at the time recognized that the majority of the bar grievances that were being filed, not just in Florida, but nationally, actually started off as a law firm management problem. Law firm management problem is the cause. Bar grievance is the effect, right? All effects have a cause. Uh, The problem is lawyers are, we're taught taught only to argue and look for the proximate cause. And therefore we're kind of trained to to ignore and not pay attention to the real long-term causes of the effects that we're experiencing. You get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I started, so so I discovered that the Florida bar had this department and I started calling them for help. And to make a very, very, very long story short, I called and I called and I kept calling. They, I kept describing the problems that I was having the effect and they would say, well, this is the cause. And then I, and they say, if you fix this cause, if you do these things to fix this cause, the effects will take care of itself. And I would fix the cause and the effect would take care of itself. And I call back. And they'd say, okay, now fix this cause. And if the next effect would take care of itself. And slowly my law firm started to get better. Long story short, I realized one day that I was having a lot more fun with the business of running a law firm. Because remember, I figured out I really like and I'm really good at figuring out how systems work. And that's what got me through law school. And I figured I'm really having a lot more fun figuring out the systems that make the law firm work than the actual practice of law. So they ended up recruiting me, and I then spent the next four years as the only lawyer in the history of the state of Florida to ever serve as a small law practice management advisor with the Florida Bar's Law Office Management Assistance Service. By the way, everyone, this is like the the pride before the fall. This is the pride part. The fall is coming, okay? It's coming hard. It's coming bad. It's coming ugly. So I spent the next four years – As a small law practice management advisor, and what that meant was half the the month I'd be in the office fielding calls from three, five, seven, ten lawyers a day on every aspect of starting, marketing, managing, buying, selling, growing a law firm. And the other half the month I was out in the field fixing broken law firms because when the disciplinary committee realized that the effect, the bar grievance, was caused by a law firm management problem, they would send my department out, which basically meant me and two other people. One of, one of the three of us would go out to, to find the systematic causes of the problem that were showing up. You follow what I'm saying here? Yeah,
0: were you getting paid for that?
1: I was a full-time employee at the Florida Bar.
0: Oh, okay. So you didn't have your law firm anymore at that
1: point? Oh, no, no. By then I okay. had to shut my law firm down to go work for the Florida Bar. Okay. So that was one of the conditions of going to work in that position is I couldn't run my own law firm while I was doing that. And, and you know, This is one of my big gripes, by the way. I just want to put this out there. One of my pet peeves, one of my gripes, is people who presume to coach, mentor, manage, advise other people part-time. I don't want a part-time brain surgeon. (laughs) Yes,
0: You want them that that's all they do. They're focused on it.
1: Well, this is all I do, right? I mean, I have have 50 full-time employees. We have a monthly payroll of over $700,000. We manage over 400 law firms around the country. And people come up to me like... And do you still practice law also? It's like, where the fuck am I gonna find time to practice law and do it at the level that yeah. my clients would need, right? Because you, you know, you know that song by The Love and Spoonfuls? Have you ever had to make up your mind?
0: I don't know. Can you sing it?
1: Have you <laughs> ever had to make up your mind?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. I know what song you're talking
1: about. They're behind. Right. I mean, I had to make a choice. <laughs> you know, what am I gonna focus my career on? And so for 20 years, this is all I've done. You know, yeah. I know, I know everything in the world there is to know about that much. <laughs> there's, there's, there's that much, right? There's that much, <laughs> that, that, that much of the world in the, 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 the tiny little world of small law firm management. There's no one on the planet who's done this more than me. I promise you.
0: Well, you know what they say, jack of all trades,
1: master of none. Exactly. Yeah. So. Long – let me just jump ahead to the fall because that's what everyone really loves to hear. They love – you know, everyone loves to watch the crash. No one likes to watch the race car go round and round and round. Everyone wants to see the crash.
0: Well, it's the the comeback too. It's the comeback.
1: Okay. Well, let me me get to the crash part. So there I was with the Florida Bar. I'm living day in and day out in broken law firms, fixing problems and all of that. And my boss at the Florida Bar, who is a great guy named J.R. Phelps – he's now passed away, but he was my mentor – He helped me develop a business plan to outsource the management functions for small law firms. I raised venture capital, started the first iteration of this business back in 2001 when I left the Florida bar. I left my venture capital backers on good terms. We just had different visions and I was running this. But the thing is I was running this like a practice as opposed to running it like a business. In other words, I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. In other words, I was the, the, the shoemaker whose children are running around without shoes. I was the baker without bread. I was the guy who was helping lawyers convert their law practices into law firm, sustainable law firm businesses. But I myself had a practice. You follow Can you
0: explain me? the difference between a practice and a business?
1: You work for a practice. A business works for you. So to the extent that the, that the operation, to the extent that each of the seven main parts of the operation keep working, even when you're away for an extended period of time with emergency access only, to the extent that the marketing keeps bringing prospective new clients to the door, even when you're away for a month at a time, to the extent that the sales process keeps converting the prospective clients into paying clients, even when you're away for, let's say, a month at a time to the extent that the work keeps getting done in a systematic, organized, predictable way to establish objective measurable standards, to the extent that the staff keeps performing their jobs to objective criteria and objective job descriptions with, with objective measurable performance, key performance indicators. To the extent that each of the seven main parts of the business, marketing, sales, production, people, physical plant, financial controls, and the goals of the owner, to the extent that those things keep working for you, even while you're away, that's the extent to which what you have is a functioning business. Yes. To the extent that it starts to slow down or grinds to a halt, or worse, goes completely off the rails, when you step away, that's the degree to which what you have on your hands is merely a practice. So in the beginning, when we first started working with law firms, I need some gold chains. Though. I'm going to keep the button. <laughs> um, I'm, get, I'm getting all used to Zoom and all these kind of video conferences. Before a month ago, I never did this stuff. Um,
0: Are you going to keep doing it?
1: Yeah, I'm really liking it, and I'm learning a lot about it. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I think there's certain types of top, certain, certain content that works better with audio only, but for yeah. this kind of stuff, I think video is fantastic. Yeah. It is, it's one of the many ways in which I think that the economic challenges and I'm, the e- let's take the medical out of it, right? There's the, there's the medical pandemic and then there's the economic pandemic. I, I think that this, the, the economic pandemic is going to cause a lot of innovation and a lot of growth. And I know that our members are reporting like their best months ever in all different practice areas. It's, it's amazing how much innovation this is forcing people to make, at least those who make the decision to take advantage of the opportunities. It's it's shocking to me how many people like just made up their, made up their mind to just crawl in a hole and die.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about mindset at some point in our conversation, but I I want to hear about the fall first.
1: I told you everyone likes to crash. (laughs) So long story short goes like this. Um, I'm running this practice, right? This, this, this law firm management, practice right and you emphasize marketing but marketing is just one of the things that we do it's really holistic business management holistic business growth marketing is just one of the tools in the toolbox um my wife was the senior art director at vh1 mtv and nickelodeon she got sick very very suddenly very unexpectedly she got very very ill and she was on long-term disability for about 18 months if you've never had to take care of anyone who's in a lot of pain as their primary caretaker, it's sometimes very difficult for people to understand, and certainly was something I did not understand before I had the experience myself, how debilitating it is for the caretaker, even more than the person who's sick, because the person who's sick is sick. Everyone knows they're yeah. sick, right? Mm-hmm. They get medicine. They get medical attention. they get The person who's taking care of the sick person, you're just like, floating around out there, literally going minute by minute by minute by minute by minute minute throughout the day. And people are like, well, you've got all this time on your hands. I don't understand why you can't. It's like, you just want to punch them in the face because they don't understand. I don't have any time on my hands. I'm sitting there counting the minutes throughout Mm -hmm. the day. That's when I learned the hard way that I had failed to practice what I had been preaching. That's when I learned the hard way that I had failed to implement the very same principles and lessons and best practices that I had helped Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of law firms implement by then, thousands of law firms implement by then to convert their law practices into a sustainable business. I hadn't done that for me. So I didn't have a sustainable business. So when Allie got sick and I took care of her, my marketing stopped, my sales stopped, my production stopped, uh, my, my people stopped getting supervised and managed to objective standards. And the whole thing fell apart very, very, very quickly. And we burned through all of our savings we burned through all of our credit. We lost our home to foreclosure. I sold off everything that I could sell, including some rental properties just to try to keep things afloat. But it was all said and done. We were broke. I mean, like seriously, I mean, we weren't like third world country broke, but we were, we were first world broke. I still had a car, but it had four flat tires. And every day I had to pump up the tires to keep the air on the tires. Every three days I had to, had a little electric pump that went the cigarette lighter and it pumped the tires up. I literally was scrounging for grocery money many, many times. It was Did you have a child at the time? Did not. I did not. And we actually got married in the middle of this whole thing, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. you know what it reminds me of a quote that you referred to. Um, to know and not to do is not to know. Bruce Lee. Yeah. Do yeah. do you feel like that applied to you at that time?
1: No. I would be letting myself off the hook, and I would be taking less than 100% personal responsibility if I said, yes, to know and not to do is not to know, and I didn't know. The problem was I had actually – I knew. I just didn't do. I mean I was like a fucking idiot is really the bottom line because I knew better. It would be easier for me to say, well, I didn't know any better. The truth is I did know better, and I just didn't do Right. Like how many lawyers? I mean, these are brilliant people, smart, highly educated, sophisticated people who do the dumbest, most entrepreneurially immature, dumbest shit you could possibly imagine. And the things that they would be suing other people over, they do themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they start law firms with no business plan. They run law firms with no financial controls. They manage staff with no documented processes or procedures or or job descriptions. Most lawyers would never allow a client to invest in a business that's being run the way they run their law firms, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's yeah. actually a call. There's actually a cause of action which describes the way most lawyers run their law firms, and it's called fraud in the inducement. I mean, think about it. Right. You go to you you go to a group of investors and you lead them to believe that you have a plan for how the business is actually going to generate a profit, a sustainable profit. But, you know, or you should know that you don't actually have a plan and yet you induce them to invest in your venture anyway. Didn't that call fraud the inducement?
0: Yeah. Well, aren't we really inducing them though to invest in one little piece? Like if I do divorce, you know, I'm I'm
1: talking about your family.
0: Oh, my family.
1: I'm talking about their families. I'm saying they go to their family. They go to their husband. They go to their wife. They go to their grown children. They go to their parents. They go to whoever's got to invest time, energy, financial resources from the household into the law firm. And they say, honey, I'm going to start my own law firm. And I need to take money that belongs to the household. I need to take time away from the household and away from the family. And I need to ask you to uh, give me your patience and maybe even do some work for us, for for the business. But they don't have a written business plan. They don't have a written marketing plan. They don't have a written marketing budget. They don't have any financial controls whatsoever in the business. No budget, no cash flow projections, no nothing. Everything's like on the back of an envelope. They either know or should have known that that plan made no sense. That's called fraud the inducement, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the clients. Let's talk about the fraud and the inducement, the systematic RICO statute fraud and the inducement Ponzi scheme that many law firms are, which this pandemic is now revealing to be the case. They say to the client, you know, yes, you can entrust your important case or matter to my law firm, but I really have no idea how I'm going to make payroll in two weeks. I really have no idea how I'm going to be paying the rent in a month. I really have no idea how this business will actually stay in business if anything goes wrong, but you can trust your important case or matter to this law firm. Now, if the lawyer were to give the client, imagine this, you know, I went around the country with LexisNexis and Microsoft and LawPay and Ruby Receptionist sponsoring me on the national CLE tour years ago. And yeah. I spoke. In, I spoke in front of thousands and thousands of lawyers all over the country, and many of those bar associations will never invite me back because of this question. Let's hear it. If you were to disclose to your clients, and the clients about to sign, you know, they got the pen in hand, they're about to sign on the line which is dotted, the retainer agreement, and yeah. you say to them, "Look, hold on, before you sign that retainer agreement, I need to make sure that you have all the facts. Full disclosure. I need to make sure you are aware of the fact that." I don't actually have a written business plan that explains how my business is supposed to function. I don't actually have any documented procedures for how the work that I've just told you that I'm going to do for you is going to get done in a systematic, organized, consistent, predictable, reliable way. I don't actually have any job descriptions for how my staff is supposed to do their job. I don't have any financial controls for my law firm. I don't have a marketing plan to consistently, predictably, reliably bring prospective new clients to the door, and so I'm going to constantly have to drop your case and go chase business. What would you say? I mean, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because I, I mean, you're, you're you're one of our members. We are the CEO of your law firm for you, so I know what your answers are. I know that you could say with pride to your clients, to your prospective clients, that your law firm does have a written business plan, your law firm does have – documented processes and procedures for how the work is supposed to get done. Your law firm does have written job descriptions with key performance indicators that you can use to manage your staff to make sure they're doing the job they're supposed to do for your clients. Your law firm does have financial controls. Your law firm does have a marketing plan and a marketing system to bring prospective new clients to the door day in and day out so that you're not having to constantly get distracted and you're not having to constantly drop people's cases to go chase business and so you're not having to, you know, take crappy cases from, from the wrong clients, uh, which infect the whole operation. So you could say to your clients with pride and make this disclosure, couldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And you know most lawyers can't.
0: No, and I think a lot of lawyers who might be hearing this for the first time are, are kind of thinking like, I don't have any of that stuff. My firm is fine.
1: Right. So here's the question that got me, that got me uninvited to a lot of these bar associations or not invited back. I'd walk them down this logical path, which I think we all agree makes sense. Yes? Yeah. And then they say, but I wouldn't tell my clients that. And I'd say, why not? And they would say, you know the answer.
0: Because why would I want to retain you if things are
1: a (laughs) Then my clients wouldn't hire me. Yeah. Right? What's it called when you withhold a fact that is not easy to discern, which the other party would, but for knowing this fact, which is only known to you the other party would have made a completely different decision. That makes that a material fact. Yeah. What's it called when you withhold material facts from a person and induce them to enter a contract, knowing that if you told them the material facts, they wouldn't enter the contract. What's that called? It's fraud. It's fucking fraud in the inducement. This is how <laughs> lawyers are running their businesses. Exactly. But anyway.
0: you know that you're, get, you're getting people that are like, you know what? Maybe I don't have the best organized business, but I've been doing this. I've got money coming in. I'm paying my bills. I'm servicing my clients. They're going to be fine. What do you say to that?
1: As long as everything keeps going just fine, but as soon as, as it's a blip, So here's the thing. I was that person. You see, I, this, is, this is what I'm saying. This is the pride before the fall. This is my fall. Yeah. this is why this is why my fall is so inexcusable because I knew better and yet I still did it. That was me. and as long as everything was going fine, I could I could hustle, I could hustle, I could hustle, I could hustle, I could hustle. I could out hustle anyone. I could keep hustling right But then when my wife got sick,
0: you couldn't hustle.
1: I couldn't hustle and the whole thing fell apart real fast. And a lot of people got real disappointed. And I had to let down a lot of people because I had failed to build a sustainable business. I had settled for merely having a practice. And that's why I'm so militant. And that's why I'm so aggressive about making sure that all of our 400 law firms that we manage around the country don't do this to themselves.
0: So you fell. But as I like to I like the comeback. You came back. I want to know that when you looked back on that now with hindsight, you saw your folly, I guess. You saw that you were basically one or two bad months away from disaster, which you saw because you experienced it.
1: Looking back at it, it's very obvious to me now what I was tolerating and putting up with and how unnecessary it was. Had I just had more entrepreneurial maturity, had I just had uh, more strength of ego, to ask for and allow people to help me. Had I had I just got my head out of my ass.
0: So how did you? So your wife is healthy, right? She's yes. healthy now, thank God. And you made a pass. That how long was? Do you say that period of brokenness was that that difficult period? And when you were taking care of your wife,
1: she got sick in the middle of, in in April of two thousand six. She didn't really fully recover until after she received an operation at the end of 2007. Okay, so that's like almost- April, April 2006 to end of 2007. And, the, and the, the real mindset part of it was that for half the time, we didn't know what was wrong with her. She, she wasn't being properly diagnosed, so we didn't know what, was, what it was. Our background, our families are both Jewish, and Jewish people are particularly susceptible to Crohn's disease. And so for a while, they thought it might be Crohn's disease. It wasn't Crohn's disease. And her mom, she lost her mom from, for cancer. And so for a while, they were telling us they thought it was cancer. And that was really scary. It wasn't cancer. Uh, it, was, it was actually something else that was able to be cured with a relatively simple operation. And now she's fully recovered. That's great. Your question was, how, how long did it take for us to go broke or how long were we yeah, I mean, I
0: guess I'm trying to understand that shift well, you know, as it was happening. when How long did it take you to – did you have to close the business down? Did it just cease to function at all?
1: It just sort of – closing it down would have been more dramatic. It was more like it just sort of, just sort of settled. Like you ever drops, drop a leaf and you just watch the leaf kind yes. of like settle in? It yes. just sort of settled down to sort of nothing.
0: Were you in a panic? Were you just like, oh shit, you know, what do I do? Do I, have, do I hustle? Do I just forget it? You know?
1: No. The one thing that I always knew that I could do is I always knew that I could make money. Once you understand how business works, which most people don't, but once you understand how business works and once you understand how to think systematically about things, which remember I learned in law school and then the Florida Bar, And once you understand how money works and and what money responds to and what money is attracted to and what money actually is, you never have to be afraid of that again. It was inconvenient. It was embarrassing. It was uncomfortable. But I was never worried about, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to have any money again. And I knew that I would be able to pick myself back up because I knew how to create value for people. I knew- I understood what money was and how money worked and I understood business. And and it was it was an excruciating decision and it was an embarrassing decision, but it wasn't a hard decision in the sense that let my business fail, let my wife die. Easy decision. I can always get another business.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: can always start another business. I could restart this business. I could do a different business. You know, and every time you let a every time a business fails, the next one you start after it is always better because you don't have all the legacy problems you had before. What was that
0: business? It wasn't how to manage a small law firm. What was it?
1: It was was actually a very, very, very early version of how to manage a small law firm. It was actually an info product business. So what I did was I created self-study programs and we had a fulfillment house that would put them onto audio CDs and workbooks back when people had audio CDs and workbooks. And we would ship those all over the country to teach about all the things that we do now with how to manage a small law firm. We were just selling it as an info product, as a self-study, study study at home, do it on your own info product on marketing, on sales, on staffing, and all that kind of stuff. And then what happened was I sold these things all over the country. When I was going to restart the business after Ali recovered, the first thing that I did was I started calling everyone that I had sold one of these info products too. Hey, how you doing? Did it work? Can I help you more? Can I get a testimonial? Can I sell you something else? And what I kept hearing, and this is one of the reasons I'm such a big proponent of just get out there and talk to your customers, talk to your clients, talk to your patients, talk to your passengers, talk to your diners, talk to whoever you do business with, which is why I love what you're doing here, Christina.
0: Thank
1: you. Um, No, I mean it sincerely. I mean, I I jumped at the chance. I mean, I responded right away. You did. I want to be very supportive in what you're doing because I think what you're doing is fantastic, and I wish more people would have the courage to just get out there and mix it up and talk to people. So I started calling them. I I had just finished selling an info product that had 12 parts to it. It was a 12 part info product, and and I was talking to people and like, yeah, part one was amazing, and part three changed the way I do everything with sales and. Part five, finally, I now I understand how to manage staff. And be like, what about parts two, four, six? You know, what about the rest? I mean, it's like they're treating it like Swiss cheese. Yeah. And finally, one of my advisors, one of my coaches, told me, hey, why don't you ask them if they would be interested in you helping them implement it rather than just sending it to them, help them with it. And I got a lot of positive feedback on that idea. And that's where the idea of initially – so originally it started off – originally I started off as a consultant. And a consultant, I sort of – it's like helping someone plan a party that you don't get to go to. I mean it's fun to plan the party, but then you don't get to go to the party to be, to be part of the growth and part of the success on an ongoing basis. And that's, that's frustrating. Then I started doing self-study info products. Then that led to coaching, which was the implementation of the self-study info product. So I'd send you, I'm looking on my bookshelf to see if I have one of them here. I don't.
0: Maybe, Maybe. I can find one on eBay.
1: <laughs> you might be able to. You might be able to. Um, and, and so then I, we were coaching, which was we were helping people implement the product. Here's the product, and now we're going to help you implement it. And then that evolved and evolved and evolved through many, many, many iterations into the business we have today where we actually are part of your org chart. We consider ourselves to be on your team. In your budget, in your p l the line item for CEO is filled by how to manage a small law firm. The line item for COO is filled by how to manage a small law firm. The line item for CFO is filled by how to manage a small law firm. And I'll give you a heads up what comes next. We haven't announced it yet. You're the first oh.
0: one. See, uh, Well, you've got CEO, CFO, COO. I don't know, CTO?
1: <laughs> no, no. We're going to be offering chief marketing officer.
0: Oh, that was going to be my next guest. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's a big one. That's important. Yeah,
1: our, our members have been demanding it. And we're finally, so most of our growth has come from really just talking to our membership and finding out what their needs are. And then when enough people tell us they need something and they want it, then we build it. Yeah. So now we function as the CEO, the COO, and the CFO, and or the CFO for almost 400 of the most amazing law firm owners like you all over the country, all different practice areas, all different walks of life. Some of them are are, our largest member has revenues of $30 million. I don't know if you know that. Um,
0: I I don't think I knew that. What's the practice area or is it a bunch of them?
1: It is first-party insurance work.
0: I think I may have. Uh, I may have. It's a gentleman, right, who owns the company, or just yes. it with his wife. I, I think no. I have seen him it's at me. the, the LQMs.
1: Chip Merlin. Okay, It's not a secret. Yeah, yeah a, I wouldn't you. keep that a secret. No, <laughs> okay, he lots of testimonials. Believe me, I don't keep it a secret, Chip Merlin. <laughs> uh, and and then of course we work with people who are just starting their law firm from nothing. So we got. So the six stages of growth that a law firm goes through, and we've got members at each of the six stages: zero to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in gross revenue, two hundred fifty thousand to five hundred thousand in gross revenue, five hundred thousand to a million five in gross revenue. That's the big one. Five hundred to a million five is that's the big stretch. Million five to three million, three million to five million, and over five million. Six stages.
0: What do you mean that's the big stretch?
1: Well, zero to two fifty is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty to to Five hundred is two hundred fifty thousand dollars growth, and then the next one is two hundred is five hundred thousand to a million five.
0: Yeah, I think I've heard you say before that that period. The, well, you've all, I've heard you say that when you get to around one five, there's like some something that happens that uh, I don't know, like your your staff rebels or something.
1: So there's a couple of things that happen during that period of time. They're both basically mindset issues. The first thing is right around $900,000, they start, it's like you're driving down the highway, cruise control, you know, you're cruising at 70 miles an hour, everything's going good, you know, you're listening to the radio, you got the air conditioning, things are going smooth, and and we're managing the law firm and things are going well, right? Yep. Around $900,000, people will be like, and they just like skid out of control and they drive into a ditch, (laughs) right? Uh, and this is all mindset. It's a hundred percent because of their mindset. It is. Like what happens? The revenue
0: drops off. The whole team leaves, and you know, goes somewhere else.
1: Something you're asking special. about the cause, or you're asking about the action, so, or you're asking about the effect of the action. Those effect.
0: are three questions. Yeah. So, what do you mean when it goes off off the road?
1: Okay. Let's talk about the cause, and then let's talk about the action, and then let's talk about the effect. Okay. The cause in my What I believe from 20 years of studying this and watching it happen is that there are a lot of people who they don't actually internalize the belief that they can become the owner of a million-dollar law firm. You get what I'm saying?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's their money story.
1: And they have this idea about – they have a very entrepreneurially immature idea of what it means to have a million-dollar law firm. They're walking around thinking that when I have a million dollar law firm, I'm going to have a private jet. And when I have a million dollar law firm, I'm going to have a butler named Chives. And when I have a million dollar law firm, I'm going to, you know, my dog is going to stop, you know, peeing on the rug. And I'm going to, my socks will magically go into the hamper. And I'm going to sprout wings and fly. And they have this fantastical, this fantastically unrealistic idea of what it really means to have a million dollar law firm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they've got this nine hundred thousand dollar law firm. Now you and I both know that the difference between a nine hundred thousand dollar law firm and a hundred thousand dollar law firm, it's only and a 1000000 dollar law firm, it's only hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, not right? that much.
1: And that and that extra hundred thousand dollars, it's only like an extra thirty thousand dollars a year of income, right? It's only like an extra twenty five hundred dollars a month. It's only like eighteen hundred dollars a month after taxes. You ain't making a whole bunch of big changes in your life over 1800 a month, right? No. That, but, but, but because they're holding on to this entrepreneurially fantasy land caricature idea of a million dollar law firm, they think I'm not ready to have a, a butler. I'm not ready to have a private jet. I'm not ready to make all these changes in my life. And, and they're, they're, not, they're not thinking rationally. They've got fear driving this. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they're like, I can't become the owner of a million dollar law firm. I've got to stop. And they turn it into the ditch. You get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. They they cut they sabotage it, right?
1: They self sabotage, right? Yeah. Because because of this, this 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 they they don't reconcile the reality of having a million or two million dollar law firm with their fantasy. They they fantasize the lifestyle of a. 15 or 20 million dollar law firm and they attach that 15 or 20 million dollar law firm lifestyle to a 1 million dollar law firm and it's just complete disconnect
0: yeah because there's something about that extra zero
1: well it's more income
0: it's just you know something about saying a million dollars
1: well look people have been fantasizing about a million dollars in this country for a hundred years a hundred years ago a million dollars was a lot of money a million dollars nowadays isn't what a million dollars was a hundred years yeah. ago, and yet people still fantasize about a million dollars, right?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Um, I don't know what the exchange rate is right now with with, with U.S. currency to uh, to the euro. People are still fantasizing about a million euros. Why aren't they fantasizing about seven hundred eighty three thousand dollars? Because seven hundred eighty three thousand dollars is a million euros. I if, I don't know if the I'm, I'm that mm-hmm. might not be the actual exchange rate, yeah. but you're getting the point, right? Yeah. Because people have this fantasy. See, most people aren't actually thinking. Most people are just operating from habits and routines and, and and stories that other people have told them that they've never really critically analyzed in order to reach their own independent judgments about.
0: Yeah, and then I wanted to ask you about mindset. Because okay. you know, something you always say is that personal development precedes professional development.
1: Yes, and that is a big part of the reason why I drew my that whole that whole mistake that all those mistakes that I had back in two thousand seven two thousand eight is because I needed to do a lot of personal development back then.
0: Yeah. So looking back on that experience with the benefit of hindsight, you you realized that the fall was because you weren't doing the things that you knew that you should have been doing. Yes. So we're kind of going all over the place here.
1: It's your show. Yeah, I know. So you you,
0: (laughs) I'm directing you now. So we're going to go back to that. So you, you got past that. Your wife's well, you're ready to hustle again. Did you go back to what you were doing before and, and just tweak it? When did you start how to, how to Manage a Small Law Firm?
1: What you know as How to Manage a Small Law Firm started, for all practical purposes, in 2009 or 2010. The, the The current concept of we're going to actually be part of your team on a monthly retainer, just like if you paid someone a salary to be the CEO of your law firm, we're going to Fill that void. We're going to fill that gap in your org chart for you. That concept was created in 2010, let's call it.
0: You said your wife got well at the end of 07. So you, you start hustling again. Did you still have the whatever it is, an LLC or whatever it is? You, did you still were operating under the old business or did, did the old business just become how to manage a small law firm? No, like how did you hustle and build it? because you didn't just one day have four hundred members? Like how did you build that?
1: Okay. So if you're going back into the Sunbiz records, there's been three or four different entities that we've that we've moved from for various tax planning reasons and business reasons until the current entity which we have now. So I, I don't think you really want to know about the corporate history. No. Okay, I, I didn't think so. But, you know, they've got a bunch of lawyers on the phone, on the call. Yeah. So they're going to go on yeah. Sunday. like, when did this thing actually start? You're lying. You were just incorporated last year. Yes, you incorporated last year for tax planning strategy reasons. Okay, good. Back off, you know. Well, like I said, I, I was selling info products. All right, yeah. so this is how it all started. This, this, is, this, is, this is exactly how it all started. When Allie was sick, I had about three hours a day of real brain power. I could get about three hours of work done per day, just because of like when her medicines would kick in and all that. Right? I created some free reports, and you can go to Law Firm Pandemic Growth Resources. I put it in the chat. Okay. okay Here with your people. It's a private chat, but it's Law Firm Pandemic Growth Resources. Uh, so back then, I created some other free reports, just free and you know, just free free resources. And I would go on to, and I had a list of every blog, every chat, every discussion group, every uh, bulletin board, whatever you would call it, you know, whatever you want to call it. I had a list of those things, like 20 of them. And every morning after I got Allie out of bed, got her to the bath, got her with her medicine, I would sit there and I would find something relevant to say on every one of these 20 things and wherever i could i would make mention and say hey if you want to get a free resource go here i got something that's free that will help you with this problem that you're talking about and then every afternoon or evening i would sur- I-, I would make the rounds again and i would try to find something to say again every morning every afternoon remember this is back 2008 and people just vilified me i was criticized i was ridiculed i was insulted How dare you share this self-serving thing, even though it's a completely free resource that's 100% relevant to exactly what we're saying we have a problem with. But because you wrote it, you're a self-serving jerk. If I shared a book or a resource that was written by someone else, everyone was like, oh, you're so gracious. Thank you so much. I appreciate the resource. People had like a really funny way back then. Now it's completely different. But back then, it was a very, very different and largely hostile environment to be out sharing free resources online. People were not comfortable with this idea.
0: Yeah, that's weird to me.
1: And so I built up my list and I remember I got my list up to about 1300 people, about 1300 people. I got my list up to about 1300 people. And that's when I launched my first coaching program. And my first coaching program was 2008 or 2000. No, 2009. 2009. And it was um, how to start a successful law firm in 90 days or less. And it was a 12-week coaching program. And I did the first one for free. And I made everyone put up a $1,200 refundable deposit. And the idea was every week that they showed up and turned in their homework, they would get $100 credit towards a refund. And any week that you missed, I would donate it to charity. So it wasn't even going in my pocket. I just needed to make sure that they showed up because I needed to create a product and I needed to, and I recorded the whole thing. And that became my first real coaching program that I launched back in like 2009. And then it was just hustle, hustle, hustle. In 2010, I was contacted by Microsoft. We all know Office 365, right? I mean, yeah. everyone knows Office. Well, the original, before Office 365, Microsoft had a product called the Business Productivity Online Suite, BPOS, and BPOS was like the original Office 365, and it was a real piece of crap. It was like no one understood it, no one could explain it, and the people from Microsoft reached out to me and basically were like saying, how can we explain this to lawyers? How can we make sure law firms understand what this thing can do? Because once you understood it, it was great, but no one understood it. I help them explain it in plain English in terms that the average small law firm owner could understand. And then they said, great, will you now go around the country and tell lawyers about this? And I say, I'd love to. And, and I said, but the only way that I can do that, because lawyers won't show up to learn about software, but they will show up to learn about how to make more money with their law firm. And then I can include your product as part of the conversation." And so they sponsored me on this national CLE tour, and by sponsor me what I mean is they gave me money. I had to go get myself booked. So I hired some people on a performance basis, and I said for everything you get me booked for, I'll give you I think it was like $1,000. Within a month, they had me booked like 15 places around the country. I was like, "Oh shit." I mean, I was scared. not
0: expecting that.
1: <laughs> I was scared. What I mean, were you scared about? Well, you see me on stage. I yeah, stutter, right. I stammer. I, I am not a polished professional speaker. I, I I think I'm an effective professional speaker, but I'm not polished. I'm not slick.
0: Well, you know, well, when you say polished, I think like, you know, if you're going to go on CBS News as a news anchor, that, that requires a certain composure, right? But if you're standing on a stage teaching people how to sell and teaching them about mindset, I think that requires something different when you have a certain enthusiasm and energy from the stage that I think that's important. And okay, that's so not take, something you can so learn. Take
1: that raw enthusiasm, take that raw energy that you, that you know and love now take 10 years of practice off of it. Okay. So, and, so you're
0: scared shitless.
1: Wait, wait, take 10 years <laughs> of practice off of it. And put me into an environment where everyone and their brother is ridiculing me and criticizing me for my point of view, which is controversial, shall we say, to say the least. Polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And and throw on a generous side helping of no actual proof of concept.
0: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I would be scared shitless,
1: too. Okay, well, there you go.
0: (laughs) And you hadn't spoken from a stage at that point?
1: Well, I had worked for the Florida Bar, so I had gone around the country speaking for the Florida Bar. But it's kind of like lawyers who think that they're great professional speakers because they're effective in front of a jury who's required by law with an armed armed bailiff insisting that they pay attention. And the lawyer thinks, oh, I'm a great professional speaker. No, (laughs) you can speak to a jury who's required by law to sit there and listen to you. They can't get up and leave. They're not allowed to open up a newspaper and tune you out. They're not allowed to check their phone and tune you out in the middle of your speech, right? Yeah. Very different thing talking to an audience that they're voluntarily versus they're speaking to a jury.
0: So you knew that you were going to have to do this. You just weren't expecting to get so many so fast.
1: So, so there are people who do coaching and consulting and speaking and things like that. They want to be public figures. They want to be famous. They want to be well known. They want to be in the spotlight and on camera. Right? Yeah. I am an introvert. I I am a gigantic introvert.
0: Which people probably laugh at you when you say that, right?
1: Let me tell you something. For all the introverts who are watching this, the very best place for an introvert to hide in a crowded room is on the stage. That is the best place to hide for an introvert.
0: Why? Because I consider myself an introvert, too.
1: Okay, well, think about this. So what makes an introvert an introvert? An introvert is someone who gets drained being around other people as opposed to yes. an extrovert who gets filled up being around other people. Mm-hmm. Okay, An introvert yeah. is someone who doesn't really have a lot of patience or interest in small talk. Yes. An extrovert is someone who will just sit there and shoot the shit over all kinds of stuff all day long. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So think about this. I'm in my suite at the hotel. I get into the service elevator with the staff of the hotel who don't know me from hole in the wall and don't care who I am. I ride down the service elevator with the laundry baskets and the room service trays. I get to the back of house. I walk through the back of house with the ugly neon lights and the disgusting floor and nothing fancy like you guys get to go to the beautiful parts of the hotel. Yeah. I'm in the back with the staff who leave me alone and don't care who I am. Right? Yeah. And then – I am backstage in my green room with no one bothering me and no one talking to me, all by myself. And then with the mo- and and then when the time comes, I get up on stage, I do my thing, I talk to 500 people. And when I'm done talking to 500 people, I go back into my green room, I ride up the elevator and go back to my suite. No real interaction required.
0: Yeah, you're alone on the stage and you dictate the conversation.
1: Well, if you're really, really good at what you do, you don't dictate the conversation because the conversation has to be a reflection of what's happening in the room and reading the audience. But yeah. I get to stay focused on the conversation and I don't have to get into all the kind of small talk. Yeah. Who's your favorite sports team and what do you think is happening with the weather and all that crap that I just can't stand. And introverts don't like that kind of stuff. right? Yeah. Now, think about networking. Introverts are much more effective marketers than extroverts, right? Because introverts, when, when I go to a networking event, I go to a networking event with a plan. I go there with a plan. I go there with a, with a strategy. I go there. I execute my plan. I follow my strategy, and I get out. As opposed to an extrovert who goes there just to make friends, just to, make, just to talk to people. Life of the party but an introvert <laughs> is actually much more effective at networking and an introvert is much more effective at marketing because precisely because we don't like being there we go there with a plan we go there with a it's like going grocery shopping with a list versus going grocery shopping without a list without a list you're wandering around the store wondering how you ended up with five ketchups in your in your in your house And with the list, you're in, you're out, off you go.
0: So how what do you what would you recommend to introverts how to network? Like what's their plan or strategy to go to like let's say you're going to a bar dinner.
1: My my best advice to an introvert who wants to learn to network is to get a copy of a book called Endless Referrals by Bob Berg. Endless referrals, B-U-R-G. We've had Bob as a guest at our live quarterly meetings. We just ran a workshop with Bob on endless referrals and the go-giver way. And Bob is also an introvert.
0: It's B-E-R-G.
1: B-U-R-G.
0: I know. I've seen his name.
1: Endless referrals. If you go to endlessreferrals.com, I'm pretty sure you can find the – there's an audiobook of it. And the audiobook, I particularly enjoy the audiobook because Bob actually reads the book himself. So you get a lot of his personality in there, which is really great. When I had my own law firm – that was the only thing that I could find to help me with marketing my law firm. I mean, I've listened to those audio programs. I just, ha- I just had my hands on it. I don't know where it is. Uh, I-, I actually found my old audio cassette tape of endless referrals, and oh I was showing gosh. it to someone the other day. <laughs> do you have
0: anything to play them on? Is the question?
1: <laughs> I do.
0: <laughs> that might be worse than having the tapes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a great resource for anyone who really wants to learn how to be effective at networking, especially if you're, and I just mean really sincerely, if you're watching this and you're an introvert and you're thinking marketing is for extroverts, nothing could be further from the truth. Introverts are the most effective marketers there is because we, precisely because we don't like it, we have to be very strategic about it. We have to be very systematic about it. We have to be, you know, very intentional and deliberate about it, I feel like I made yeah. my point.
0: Yeah, no, you did. Thank you for that because I, I definitely consider myself an introvert. Okay, so so you have a heart attack when you have to do these, uh, these speaking engagements, but you did them, obviously. You got through it. And did you get more comfortable with them? Did you feel like you kind of found your place with that?
1: I've always been comfortable speaking my truth. I've always been comfortable... Talking about what I know because I know it. I mean, it's like I've got my ten thousand hours, right? There's no one who can shake me on what I know because it's I know. It. I, mean, I I know what works.
0: No, is I know this what, what are these the speaking engagements where you told people they were committing fraud and they never invited you back? Are these the ones?
1: Say, say that one more time.
0: Are these the ones where you told everyone they were committing fraud and they didn't invite you back?
1: I didn't tell them anything. I just asked them a series <laughs> of questions.
0: Okay, yes. You asked them the questions. And question. brought
1: them to the conclusion that they couldn't avoid. And it, they'd be like, one and one is two. Yeah, one and one is two. Two and two is four. Yeah, two and two is four. Four and four is eight. Yeah, four and four is eight. Eight and eight is 16. Fuck you! <laughs> That's what they would say to me because they didn't want to reach that last conclusion, Right. Yeah. The last step yeah. of realizing the truth of what they were doing. They just couldn't handle it. And so, you know, look, there's a quote. I'm going to butcher this quote. Leland Van Verdal. Denderwald. Right. Yeah. Right. And he said, the extent to which a person can grow is how much truth they can face without running away.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. I've heard that quote.
1: Right. And That's so- true. There's basically two kinds of people running businesses today. People like you who, I mean, you want to tell the story about how we met? You want to tell the story about that breakfast?
0: Oh yeah.
1: Well, you demonstrated a lot of courage. I, I, I showed you some truths. I didn't tell you anything. I showed you some things. I helped you. I asked you questions. I got you thinking a certain way and, and led you through a thought process that led you to a conclusion. And that conclusion could have resulted in you telling me to fuck off, <laughs> or it could have led to the conclusion, which I'm really glad it led to, which was you saying we're ready to be helped.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I can talk about that. And I and it, I was just about to get into how you definitely have you know a reputation for telling people things that. That are hard that they don't want to hear, but that they need to hear for that growth.
1: I like and to call that the truth. I have
0: yes, the truth. But you know, sometimes when you when you tell not you personally, but when when someone tells someone the truth, if it's not sugar coated and you know wrapped up in a pretty little bow, and it's not something they want to hear or are even ready to hear, they don't see it that way, right? They don't see it as the truth. I'll just call it what it is. You know, there are people in in our group that are they will avoid you like the plague because they don't want the laser coaching that you do. You know, they don't want you standing on the stage like you did at those speaking engagements, telling people stuff that is true that they just don't want to hear.
1: And and you know something, I'm 48 years old, and when I was 38 years old. I probably chased too many of those types of people down to make sure they heard the truth. And I think one of the big parts of personal growth and personal development that I personally have experienced is I've embraced the Paul McCartney version, let the record reflect, of live and let die. Not the Guns <laughs> and Rose's version, the yeah. Paul McCartney version with wings, the okay. classic, the right one. <laughs> um, you know, in my old days, I was so – I was such a believer in the truth, in my truth that I knew was real from having worked with thousands and thousands. You gotta remember, by the time I was 30 years old, I had already worked with over 10,000 lawyers because of the work at the Florida bar, right? You got, I mean, just think about this. You're 30 years old and you've already seen the same thing 10,000 times over and over and over and over, day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. And I had the power of the Florida Bar behind me so that – so that when I would go into a law firm, it was at the direction of the disciplinary committee. And so when I would go into the law firm and start crawling through the operating systems and start crawling through the procedures and start crawling through the financials and the lawyer wanted to tell me to get out, they couldn't because the Florida Bar disciplinary committee required them to work with me, right? So I got to see things and have experiences that most people don't ever get to see or experience. So by the time I'm 35 years old, 30, 35 years old, I have seen things that no one should have to see inside of law firm. I'm I'm reminded of that scene from Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. I've been around, right? Uh (laughs) I've seen some stuff. I've seen some really bad shit in law firms. I think that when I was... When I came out of the Florida bar, I had the technical skills and I had the practical experience, but I didn't have the, the personal development and I didn't have the emotional maturity back then to allow people to fail. And I chased too many people. And now I, I have the attitude of, you know, look, live and let die. I, I, if you want to know the truth, you can come to me and I'll show it to you. And if you don't want to know the truth, don't come to me. And if you don't come to me, that's okay because I got plenty of business to do in front of me now. I don't need to go chasing people. Yeah. And I think in the past, I mean 10 years ago, I definitely chased people. They didn't want to know the truth and they didn't want to hear the truth and they didn't appreciate me for helping them understand the truth.
0: They probably just thought you were mean or insensitive or abrasive or whatever.
1: I think it depends on your definition of the word insensitive. I think that I'm, I think I'm very sensitive. I think I'm sensitive in the same way that a surgeon is sensitive. If I don't do this, you're going to die. If I don't do this for your business, your business is going to die, right? I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you. But I think in the past, I didn't wait for volunteers.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Now... I don't chase people. I only work with volunteers and I think I've become a lot smarter about putting up barriers between me and people who don't know me so that by the time they get to me, they understand what I'm about and where I'm coming from and what my Well, I mean like you've seen our manifesto
0: mm-hmm, yeah.
1: with the statement of values. Mm-hmm and philosophies, I mean, you've seen this, right?
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: No one gets to work with me now until after they've read this. And if this puts them off, then they shouldn't work with me. But that required a ton of personal development and a lot of growing up and a lot of entrepreneurial maturity over the last 10 years to be in this place where I can say, live and let die.
0: I mean, how would you say you've evolved over the past 10 years?
1: I mean, how have I not evolved? Um,
0: Like, what do you think you do exponentially better today than you did 10 years ago?
1: Wherever you see a person having a problem in their business, that's always going to be a place in their business where they're using the business to get love, get security, and or get self-esteem, from their clients, their staff, their vendors or other people. Wherever you see a business that's thriving, that's doing really well, that's always going to be a place in the business where the owner of the business, where the owner is using the business to give love, give security, give self-esteem mm-hmm. to clients, staff, vendors and other people. You get that
0: Yeah, that's yeah. So can, can, I, can, can I give you maybe an example? Like if you're having a problem with staff, having competent staff or what you think are competent staff, and maybe it's hiring and firing that is your, your issue. Right. You would say you're probably getting, looking for love. Maybe you need to be liked by your staff.
1: Right. So imagine if you're more concerned about being liked by your staff than having your staff be effective for you. If you're overly concerned about them liking you, you're trying to get your love from them instead of using the, the relationship to give them love, to give them self-respect, to give them self-esteem, to give them security, right? So imagine the general who's commanding troops, who cares so much about the troops that he or she, the general, is unwilling to order them into battle and put them in harm's way. Well, congratulations. You never ordered your troops into battle. They never went into harm's way, but you lost the war. Your country was conquered. And now you're all subservient to the enemy. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Lots of business owners want their staff to like them. I mean, of course, everyone wants their staff to like yeah. them. I would, all things being equal, of course, I would prefer my staff to like me. But if I have to choose between my staff liking me versus my staff doing the job the way they need to do the job so I don't have to fire them, I'd rather they not like me for a little while so that I can give them real security. If you allow your staff to perform badly and you don't want them to dislike you so you don't tell them the truth about their performance – They perform badly, they perform badly, they perform badly and they say, oh, I love my boss. My boss is so nice. My boss is always saying nice things to me. I like my boss so much and they like you right up until the moment where you say, I'm sorry, you're fired. Why am I fired? Well, because I'm bankrupt. Why are you bankrupt? Because you've been doing a bad job. Why didn't you tell me that I was doing a bad job? Why didn't you tell me the truth so I can improve my performance so I wouldn't have to get fired? Well, because I was trying to get you to like me. I was getting my love from you at your expense.
0: And people aren't even aware that they're doing that.
1: No, they're not. Most people are not aware that they're doing that. And it requires a lot of, I mean, this is, look, how to manage a small law firm, the way you described us in the beginning, I, I don't agree with that description. The, the reality is that we are a personal development business for entrepreneurs, Okay. The entrepreneurs we serve happen to be lawyers. They happen to own law firms. But we are all about – we have to build you into the entrepreneur, into the business owner who you need to be before you can have the business that you want to have. You follow what I'm saying here? Yes. Yes. We have to help you. I don't know your gross revenues. I'm not going to ask you on this podcast. But, you know, Let's say you say I, – I think your revenues are less than $5 million, right? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: OK. Well, why are your revenues less than $5 million? It's not like, it's not like there's a shortage of people who need your help. Yeah. It's not like you're stingy and don't want to help more people. It's not like the mechanical processes and procedures and systems that need to get built in order to do the marketing, in order to do the sales, in order to streamline the work product and hire and train and manage the staff – are are any kind of a big mystery. They're not. Why don't you have a $5 million law firm yet? And the answer is because you have not become the owner of a $5 million law firm yet. Once you become the owner of a $5 million law firm, then you get to have a $5 million law firm. Why do I have a $20 million business and not a $100 million business yet? Well, because I have become the owner of a $20 million business And so I can have a $20 million business and I'm working on becoming the owner of a $100 million business so that I can have a $100 million business.
0: Well, how do you do that? How do you become? like? How do I become the owner of a $5 million business without being the owner of a $5 million business? You
1: have to become the owner of the business before you get to have the business.
0: But how do you know how to do that? If you've never been in that role, you don't have the the muscle memory, if you will, of you don't know what that is, what that looks like.
1: If only someone had created a business that was a personal development business for (laughs) entrepreneurs that also included the operational systems, processes, procedures, coaching, accountability, infrastructure, best practices, tools, tips, resources, guidance, library, archives, live quarterly <laughs> meetings, and everything else. If only such a thing was created, then I could tell you that's an efficient way to do it.
0: Well, have I been sleeping? <laughs> I remember one time, and you've probably said it more than once, but I there was a time it struck me, you said, you know, as your business grows, You don't just have the same problems all the time. It's like raising a child. You know, you have different issues when you raise a toddler and then when you have, you know, a seven-year-old and then when you have a teenager. I guess I'm comparing it to that. Is that sort of what you mean?
1: The difference is that I have a a four-and-a-half-year-old. Nature will cause him to become a five-year-old. Nature will cause him to become a six-year-old and so on and so forth, right? Right. Nature is not going to cause your law firm to become a $5 million law firm. You have to take action to make that happen. And the actions you're going to take and the excuses you're going to make to avoid taking those actions and the, 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 the standards you're going to tolerate that are going to propel or prevent that from taking place, it's all in your mind. So look, can you see this if I do this? Yes. Marketing – leads to sales. Sales leads to production.
0: I'm impressed. I was going to say I'm impressed you can write upside down.
1: Production. Production leads to people. People require physical plant. You get this right and you've got financial controls. Budget, budget, variance report, cash flow projections, accounts receivables, cost of goods sold, gross profit margins, all that kind of stuff. All, all the things that you have access to in your how-to-manage-a-small-law-firm dashboard that you use to know what's going on in your business. You get this right and you achieve your goals. I can't do an upside-down G. That sounds easy. But that's not – I mean that, that, that is a two-dimensional model of a three-dimensional world. In reality, this is how it actually works. Marketing leads to sales. Sales – leads to the need for production. Production leads to people who need to do jobs that are well-defined, streamlined, systematized, and engineered to be profitable for the business. People need to use stuff, physical plant, get this done right, and you have money coming in and going out, which leads back to the marketing. This is the simple mechanical part of building a million-dollar law firm, a $5 million law firm, a $10 million law firm, a $20 million law firm, you name it. But it all revolves around you. To the extent that you have beliefs that are – to the extent that you've got self-limiting beliefs around marketing, your marketing will work or it won't work. To the extent that you've got lack of skills and and, 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 and self-limiting beliefs or wrong beliefs or, you know, taboos around sales, your sales isn't gonna to work. To the extent that you've got beliefs or you know you take pride in how hard you work, you take pride in how much you suffer, you take pride in how much you sacrifice, you take pride in how, how long hours you work. you're never gonna streamline and systematize the production and get your people to be super efficient, right To the yeah. extent you've got and, and we're seeing this like all over the internet. we're seeing this tens yeah. of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lawyers, right now, like it is on, it's like a peacock on, on proud display, the unhealthy relationship people have with money. People are getting all kinds of triggered with money problem with, with their, with their unexamined unhealthy relationship with money right now. So to the extent that you have these mindset issues going on, and to the extent that you even have a mindset belief about who and what you are you're going to either make these things work or screw these things up. Yeah. So, so would
0: you say that when one of these isn't working or more one or more isn't working, is it almost always a mindset problem? It's not, is it not a tactical issue like, oh, you just need to do this?
1: It's, it it's almost always a mindset problem at the root of it. If it's not working for a couple of days, if it's not working for a few weeks, If it's not working for a few months because you're making changes, you know. If it's not working for a few months because you're you're making a transition from a two hundred fifty thousand dollar business where it's all you, and now you're having the first experience in your life running a half a million dollar business where you actually have to lead a staff and you just don't know how to do it. There's just I just don't know how to document policies. I don't know which procedures to put together. I don't know how to create policies and procedures and checklists and templates to create an actual system. I just don't mechanically know how to do that. Yeah. That's practical mechanical stuff. Right. But once we show you how to do it, once we do it with you, once we do it for you, when every week you're having a call, you're having a meeting with your CEO, when every week you're having a meeting with your COO, when every week you're having a meeting with your CFO, when once a quarter you're coming to a live quarterly meeting and you're watching 400 other lawyers who are putting these things together and it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working, it's working because it just works and you just keep finding ways to fuck this up Yeah, start thinking maybe there's a mindset issue going on here. And, and by mindset issue, I don't mean lack of intelligence. I mean maybe you have some some unexamined – Beliefs that are stopping you from doing what must get done, or you have some self living beliefs where you're just like steering into the ditch to avoid having to face up to the next level of growth. So, for example, I have how to manage a small law firm. We've got fifty full-time employees, We've got a seven hundred plus thousand dollar a month salary. I mean, our payroll is over seven hundred thousand dollars a month. Just yes, okay.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean. I remember when my gross revenue was less than $700,000 a year. I have a director of programs. I have a phenomenal, amazing, spectacular, you know, Erica director Mm -hmm. of programs who is so much better than me at what she does for my company. She is better than me at what I, at, at being the director of programs. I've got a phenomenal, amazing, terrific, amazing director of operations, Renee, Renee Puts me to shame. I mean, I am an amateur compared to Renee in terms of being a director of operations. I've got Sherry, who's our director of finance. She has an MBA. I mean, she has a CPA. She ran a $75 million business, right? I I can't hold a candle to her in terms of her being a CFO. Uh, I've got our general manager. Our general manager, his previous job He was the CEO of a $1 billion business. I mean, right? Yeah. But think about the way most lawyers run their law firm, right? The way most lawyers run their law firm, they start off as the best lawyer, right? Yeah. And so – they manage the other lawyers by, by hierarchy. I'm, I, I'm the, I'm the senior attorney cause I'm a better lawyer than you. And they manage the paralegals by saying, I went to law school and I'm a lawyer, and you're just a paralegal. So I know more than you do. And then <laughs> they try to apply that same strategy to managing their professional legal administrator. I'm a better lawyer than you are because I went to law school and you merely have an MBA in management and the whole thing just goes off the rails, right? So if the lawyer doesn't grow personally to the point where he or she is not just willing and able but actually enthusiastic and excited. So think about this. Marketing, sales, production, physical uh, people, physical plant, Financial controls goals. Got it? Yep. This is like a hose with no kinks in it. Everyone's operating at the same level. But that's not the way most law firms run. Yeah. Most law firms run is marketing is done by someone who's never actually studied marketing before. Sales is being done by someone who's never actually been trained on how to have a productive, ethical, professional sales conversation. Yeah? Yeah. The production of legal work is being done by a great lawyer. The people are very good people. The physical plant is being managed by someone who's never actually written a business plan and knows nothing about running a physical plant. And the financial controls are being done by someone who's got an unhealthy relationship with money to begin with. How sad, how, and I mean this very sincerely. I mean, I have a lot of empathy for the, for the lawyer who goes through his or her entire career as like an eight or a nine or a 10 surrounded by a cast of characters operating at a one or a two or a three in terms of performance. And so when we bring how to manage a small law firm in, we raise the marketing up to this level. We raise the sales up to this level. We raise the, the people up to this level. We raise the physical plant up to this level. We raise the financial controls up to this level, and the whole thing just works better.
0: Yeah, I can vouch for that. It does.
1: But, but in all sincerity, I mean, I have a ton of empathy for the lawyer who goes his, his or her whole life over here as like the standout superstar of their team. So we function as your CEO, correct? Yes. Yes. And we uh, and do we also function as the COO or the CFO of your law firm?
0: Not now, but you have in the past.
1: Okay, so who's functioning as the COO? Do you have a professional legal administrator yet?
0: No, we did, but that didn't work out.
1: Okay. So my partner. Is, and who's functioning as the CFO of your law firm?
0: I would say we both share that capacity. Me
1: right. And, my partner. and you've you've you studied finance. No. You have MBAs? No. You have CPAs? No. Okay. So this is you, right? We're functioning as the CEO making sure the marketing is working. We're functioning as the CEO making sure that the sales is working. We're functioning as the CEO and doing basically half the job to make sure that your people are properly trained and documented, being held to standards because we can't be the CEO and the CFO and the COO And do it. But if you brought us in as a COO or had a professional legal administrator, you'd get that up here and then your law firm would just work better.
0: Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it in action. It's amazing what happens when you hire people, not just because you like them or because you have a good gut feeling, but because they're actually qualified and know more about the role than you do. So, yeah. But this
1: is the personal development thing that I was talking about, right? Yes. You you have done this personal development. Your, your ego doesn't prevent you from surrounding yourself with people who are your equal or better in their areas of expertise. And it goes back to the Love and spoonful song that I was singing before, you know, have you ever had to make up your mind? I sincerely believe that had I set my mind to it, I could have been a phenomenal litigator. I really believe that I have that in me to be a, a, a really great litigator. And I also think that had I set my mind to it, I could have been a really, really, really good family law attorney or a estate planning attorney. I don't think that I could necessarily have been a great intellectual property attorney or a great criminal defense attorney, but litigation, civil litigation, family law, and estate planning, I really think that I could have been phenomenal.
0: Right? Why do you say that about those areas?
1: That's just... The things that i'm interested in is what i know about it, it just plays to my skill sets my talents i can get into the reasons why but that's not my point the point that i'm trying to make is uh-huh. i had but but 20 years ago i made a decision you know and the decision was am i gonna pursue a lifetime career as a litigator or am i gonna pursue a lifetime career as a family law attorney or am i gonna pursue a lifetime career as an estate planning attorney or bankruptcy Like those are the four options, right? It's like a little kid who says, I want to be a race car driver and an astronaut and a fireman and a this and a that. It's like, I mean, you know, you let little kids, you let little kids have these fantasies and these daydreams. But the problem is we've got lawyers who are not living up to their full potential as family law attorneys. And they're not living up to their full potential as estate planning attorneys, and they're not living up to their full potential as litigators, and they're not living up to their full potential as criminal defense attorneys, and they're not living up to their full potential as personal injury attorneys, and they're not living up to their full potential as immigration attorneys. Why? Because they're busy being half assed CEOs of law firms. So their law firm has a half assed CEO who knows nothing about the business of running a law firm, and doesn't have the very best lawyer that they could have either because their lawyer is fucking around trying to be a half-assed professional legal administrator.
0: Yeah, well, you can't wear all those hats. If there but that doesn't stop struggling
1: lawyers from trying.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. This,
1: this goes back to the mindset you're asking me about.
0: It does. And I, I would say to anybody who's listening who thinks, oh, I've been doing this for years. Just imagine how much better you could be doing if You know, you were filling those roles 100%.
1: You know, the analogy that I use is if you didn't know any better and you got into a car that had four flat tires and the brakes were squeaking every time you tried to stop and the engine was belching out black smoke because no one had changed the oil or tuned it up. And if you didn't know any better and the only thing you'd ever done before is ridden a horse or walked on your feet, you would think, oh, my God, this is amazing, right? When people yeah. first started riding around on a Model T, <laughs> they thought it was amazing.
0: Yeah. The,
1: the problem is there's lawyers who are running their law firms for 5, 10, 20 years driving around on flat tires, and they just don't know it could be any better. And then when you tell them it could be so much better, all things being equal, how could a law firm not work better with a written business plan? All things being equal, how could a law firm not work better with a written, strategic, well-thought-out marketing plan with a marketing budget and measurements and metrics and, and, and keeping track of it where you define who your target audience is and, and all that kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. All things being equal, how could a law firm not work better if you trained non-attorneys to meet with prospective new clients and convert them into paying clients even when the owner is away on vacation for a month at a time, all things being equal, how could a law firm not work better if you documented everyone's job descriptions in a way that everyone could understand what their job was, what their job wasn't, how, they want, how the owner wants the job done, the tools, the resources, the checklist, the templates, the examples, the templates of how they're supposed to do their job and put some objective measurements in place. How could it not work better? How could it not work better with a 12-month forward-looking budget? How could it not work better if you took the time to understand your cost of goods sold and your gross profit margins? How could it not work better if every month you sat down with an experienced CFO and reviewed your budget, your budget variance report, your cash flow projections, your accounts receivables report, your work in process, uh, your cash positions, and and your key performance indicators in your dashboard and then made objective, rational, forward-looking decisions month by month by month by month by month where you could make micro little decisions instead of waiting to the end of the year when your accountant tells you everything that is too late to now do something about. Just objectively speaking, how could it not work better running your law firm like this? And the problem is lawyers say, well, I've never run my law firm like that before. How do I know for sure that it's going to work better? And it's like, Use your brain. (laughs) But they're afraid.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it can sound overwhelming. Like, what? (laughs) We're fine the way we are. Thank you very much. Uh, No, but I can vouch that it it can seem overwhelming when you put it that way. But you learn over time and it does get better.
1: And that's why we that, that is what our business is. That is what how to manage a small law firm exists to do.
0: Is there ever gonna be how to manage a small business? Is it in the works? Is it up is it up here? (laughs) Are are you not ready to talk about it?
1: I'm not ready to talk about it.
0: Okay. Well, maybe you'll come back on here when you're ready to talk about
1: it. Maybe when you go maybe when we open up the payroll protection program application (laughs) later this week, you'll see the logo.
0: Okay. Okay, good. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. We've been on for an hour and 45 minutes. so
1: It flies when you're having fun, right? I know.
0: It does, right? Um, Can we just end with this? Because I I, I feel like we have to address it, given the climate that we're in, and you've alluded to it a little bit. What are you seeing right now with the COVID-19 stuff that's going on? Are you seeing attorneys losing their minds? getting into their money story. Like, can you describe that a little bit?
1: I'm seeing a lot of truth getting revealed. I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of mindset being revealed. We have a free report on law firm, mm-hmm. which you already put up there. Thank you for putting it up there again. It's called out of office, out of business autoresponder. So we're see- I mean, I'm just seeing, and you probably see it too, a ton of email autoresponders, responders that basically say we're out of business until the pandemic passes. And if you go to the law firm pandemicgrowthresources.com website, you can download a free report, it's free, and you'll see sample out of office autoresponders that actually grow your business instead of shrink your business. We're seeing a record number of our members in all different practice areas who are reporting, and you're on the private membership side, also, you see it too, who are saying, I got a call from a client and they said they hired me because no one else would respond to them. No one else handed their phone. No one else responded to an email. Lawyers are just hiding. We're seeing advertising. Right now is a phenomenal time to be advertising because there are so many law firms that are getting out of the advertising game. They're, they're, they're dropping their pay-per-click campaigns. They're, they're stopping doing all of their they're, – they're, they just turned all their marketing off. So your costs are dropping and the amount of competition in the marketing space is dropping. So you, you get twice as much reach for half as much cost. We're seeing a lot of lawyers who are revealing that They're truly living hand-to-mouth with their law firms, which is kind of a scary thing if you're one of their clients. And they're just obsessed with how much money can I get today, 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 instead of taking this as an opportunity to elevate their relationship to that of trusted advisor. And a trusted advisor, you know, you take a much longer view. So we talked earlier before we started about our kids' club. Do you have have kids? I don't know if you've got
0: kids. I don't, but I have a goddaughter, Sydney, who's seven, and that's my partner, John's daughter.
1: Okay, so she goes to our kids' club, right? Yeah. Okay, so at our live quarterly meetings, just for everyone's benefit, you already know this. At our live quarterly meetings, we run a kids' entrepreneur club for kids ages four to to 13, and we break them up into different groups. We teach them about business, and they start little businesses, and it's lots of fun. When this whole pandemic thing started a month ago, my team came to me and said, can we run a virtual kids club? And I said, yeah, let's try it. And the first week we had 20 kids in our virtual kids club just for our members only. And then our members were coming back to us and saying, my staff is at home and I need my staff to be productive and my staff is going out of their mind because their kids are home too. Can I put my kids into your, kids, into your virtual kids club? So the second week we opened it up to the kids of staff of our members. And we got something like 50 or 60 kids. And then in the third week, our members said, Hey, I have referral sources who can't function, which means they can't refer business to me because their kids are at home driving them insane.
0: Yeah.
1: Can I, can I invite some of my best referral sources and have their kids go into your kids' club? We got like over 100 kids at our virtual kids' club now. By the way, you know what we charge for the virtual kids' club? What? It's free. It's yeah. completely free. It's a public service. We're doing this because we're taking a long view. And I, I'm sharing this to illustrate a point that there's so many, you ask me what I'm seeing with lawyers doing out there these days. And what I'm seeing lawyers doing is I see them taking a very, very short view of things. They're thinking transactionally. And I understand why they think this way, because they've been, no pun intended, but they've been infected with the billable hour mentality right, where their relationship with their client is measured in six-minute increments, right? Most lawyers, sadly, go through life trying to get a client so they can squeeze work out of the client. What you do, what all of your fellow members of how to manage a small law firm do, let me say most of them, I wish all of them, but almost all of them, we take a very different view, right? Don't we? We look at it as, let me find any opportunity to be of service, Let me find any little scrap, any piece of work that I can do to earn the opportunity to call someone my client. And most lawyers hide behind bar rules that say, if someone has signed a document, they're now your client. That might be what the bar rules say, but the client has some say in it as to whether or not they think of themselves as your client. Most of them don't think of themselves as your client, just because they signed a retainer agreement. They don't actually think of you as their attorney. They don't actually think of themselves as your client who you can really start to calculate lifetime value from until you've earned that position by taking a much more holistic view of your relationship with them. So your law firm does family law, right? Yep. And right now you are doing things that go way beyond the scope of traditional family law, to help your clients, aren't you? Yeah. You're helping them with their family law issues. You're helping them with their landlord-tenant issues. You are helping them with their immigration issues. You're helping them with their criminal defense issues. You're helping them with their childcare issues. You are helping them improve their relationships with their family who they are stuck at home with issues. You're helping them think through and plan out what they're going to do with their career and their business after the pandemic. You're helping. And and even though you don't do family, even though you don't do estate planning, even though you don't do bankruptcy, and even though you don't do landlord tenant, you're bringing the resources to bear because you are seeing yourself, you've positioned yourself brilliantly as a trusted advisor. I mean, that's what this whole show is about. This is about you saying, I'm going to study and understand the needs of my people. And wherever those needs take me, that's where I'm going to go and find a way to be of service. And that's how you come out of this thing as a trusted advisor, which is precisely what most lawyers are not doing. Which is precisely why a year from now, the gap is just going to be huge yeah. between your You know, you start off here, they start off here. A year from now, it's going to be like, how did Christina's law firm get such a gigantic advantage?
0: Well, what the- about? That- What about the people that, and I'm being devil's advocate, what about the ones that are watching going? But Arjun, you don't understand. I don't have any money coming in, and I can't work for the next three or four months, and there's going to be no money coming in. And how do you expect me to do all that?
1: That's a total fucking mindset cop-out. It doesn't even make any sense. I mean, if you think about it for literally, start a countdown timer. When you tell me go – I will shut down that argument and jam it down their throat because it makes no sense whatsoever. It's completely idiotic.
0: Tell me why. Go.
1: (laughs) You have no money. You're sitting at home. You still have a phone. You still have a brain. You're still supposedly, allegedly a resourceful, intelligent, educated person who's got contacts and relationships and gives a shit about your clients. So you can pick up the phone and call them for free and say, what's going on? And how can I help you and go through a list of questions and issues and problems that you know they're probably having? Because presumably you're supposed to be the person who actually knows what the fuck is going on with these kinds of clients who go through these kinds of things over and over and over and over again. And it costs you nothing to pick up the phone and call them and demonstrate that you give a shit and help them make plans and and bring resources to bear to help them. Done. (laughs) How much money does it take to pick up the phone and call someone and say, I give a shit about you? How can I help you? Yeah. How much money does it take? Take out a pen, take a piece of paper, and to write out a list and say, here's a list. Of, I know my clients. These are the kinds of things I know my clients probably are dealing with. Let's do it for you. You do family law, right? Yeah. Yeah. And specifically, what kind of family law? <clears throat> High net worth, low net worth? I don't remember the details. I apologize. Uh,
0: middle class, whatever that is, um, you know, $100,000 income, household income, maybe a little more.
1: Okay, so typically these are these are these are people with white collar or or, or managerial blue collar type jobs. Yes. yes, and or business owners.
0: There could be yes, a lot of business.
1: most of them probably own their own home.
0: Yes, and have children.
1: They probably own a car or lease a car. Yes, they probably have other financial obligations. Yes, school tuitions, rents, mortgages, things like that. Yes. Okay, go. Let's make a list of 10 things that have nothing to do with the law that you know that your clients are dealing with or trying to deal with. And you know this because you've been doing what you've been doing, what you've been doing, what you've been doing, what you've been doing 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 for for more than 10,000 hours. Yeah. I'll make Uh, a list. What are 10 things?
0: A big thing is homeschooling, issues with kids at home. So homeschooling.
1: Homeschooling, uh, next.
0: Having to work from home.
1: Work from home. Next. Well,
0: those two are tied together. Um, could be having some financial issues if someone has lost their job.
1: Okay, so let's say unemployment.
0: Yeah, it could be unemployment if they okay, have a, if they have a small business. They're concerned okay, about
1: revenue. So, so there's there's uh, the Payroll Protection Program. Next,
0: yes, there's um, negotiating
1: with landlords.
0: Yes. Uh, maybe uh, paying their mortgage. I know there's been some landlord-tenant issues. Um, for Bank
1: mortgage, landlord-tenant. Okay, next. That's one, two, three, four, five, six. Next.
0: Uh, we're actually having a bankruptcy attorney come on and talk one day about...
1: Bankruptcy. Seven. How about car loans?
0: Um, I didn't address car loans.
1: Eight. That's car loans. I'm putting it in there. Car loans or lease payments?
0: Um, modification of support obligations.
1: Mo- I, I'm gonna let you slide on that one, but I said no legal. Modification oh, okay. on support. Um, Hold on. modification okay. on support, modification on visitation.
0: And I guess this is this might still be legal, but co-parenting challenges, right?
1: Co-parenting now. is not legal, co-parenting is human. Okay. And eleven is stuff to do at home when you finish watching everything there is to see on Netflix.
0: After you've watched Tiger King.
1: Everyone's talking about Tiger King. I Have
0: don't you not know seen Tiger. it?
1: I'm not watching Tiger King. Why would I infect my mind with a bunch of crazy, insane people? I just finished telling you how much we got to protect our mindset. No, I'm not watching fucking Tiger King.
0: No, it makes you feel really good about yourself.
1: I don't need to feel – I don't need to compare myself to other people to feel good about myself. I don't need to make other people look bad to make myself feel better.
0: Why? Well, I was going to ask you if Carol Baskin killed her husband, but now you won't know what I'm talking about. So
1: No, and I'm proud to say I have no idea because I don't <laughs> – anyway, look. So look, if you picked up the phone and you called all your clients, and you called all your former clients, people whose cases you closed two, three, five years ago, cost you nothing to pick up the phone and call these people, right? Yeah. If I listen, I just want to check in and see how you're doing, and there's some things that I'm doing. I'm calling all of my clients just to, just to go over uh, some things that I know you – You guys are you know something that many of our clients are telling me that they're looking for help with and i want to see how you're doing and 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 if you need any help with anything and you and you said so how so what are you doing with homeschooling and then you said oh i've got some resources to share with homeschooling and you and you did the research and you do the if you did an hour of research or two hours of research or three hours of research and shared those three hours of research with a hundred people, you would save them 300 hours of work. I have some tips on working from home and I, and I've got someone I can introduce you to, to help you file unemployment. And I got a resource to help you get your PPP. And I've got a, are you get what I'm saying? Yes. This doesn't cost anything. It costs time. And the person who's sitting at home whining about, I got no money coming in. Well, yeah, if you've got no money coming in, it's because no one's paying you to do any work. And if no one's paying you to do any work, it means you've got a lot of free time on your hands. So if you did three hours of research on homeschooling and you did three hours of research on work from home and three hours of research on unemployment and three hours of research on each of these 10 topics, you could do 30 hours of research. And if you shared 30 hours of research with 100 of your former clients, you would save them 3,000 hours. You could provide You could provide 3,000 hours of value.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that is how you should be looking at the current situation rather than going into place of panic.
1: Yeah. I got to jump.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for being so generous with your time. And I really appreciate it. And how should people reach out to how to manage if they're interested in learning more?
1: The best thing to do is go to com, or they can just go to howtomanage.com. Okay. And they can... Right now, because of the pandemic, we are running some special virtual programs. They're short-term limited commitment virtual programs designed to help owners of small law firms get their law firms stabilized to position them for growth. We're running a four-week virtual boot camp, which is actually why I have to go because the next one starts in an hour. And we're running, and then we're gonna be launching a six-month program pretty soon to really help people supercharge their business.
0: Awesome. Great. Well, I'll be looking out for that and, and the how to manage a small business. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good Thank day. You.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com, and be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.